Hey there, sweet peas. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Friendless, the only show that tries to teach you how to be a better friend by losing every friend I have. I'm your host, James Avermenko, and this week I'm interviewing one of my favorite authors alive today, the incomparable L. Nash. L is the author of such books as Animals Eat Each Other, Nudes, as well as my new favorite, Gag Reflex, and it was an absolute pleasure getting to chat with her. There's not really a ton of updates about the show, so I'm just going to dive right into the episode. Why not lean back, get comfy, set your volume at a reasonable level, and enjoy my interview with L. Nash here on Friendless. What is it? Uh, where is it you sort of discovered your passion for writing, and what convinced you to follow um, this sort of this path? <laughs> It's really hard to figure out like what was the pinpoint inspiration for wanting to write um, because like I would try to write stuff when I was really little right like mm-hmm. in middle school I remember trying to like write a novel into this like Lisa Frank dolphin um, <laughs> diary that I had like I was like I'm writing a novel about dolphins you know sure. and I just like still really wish I had that so I could like oh, look yeah. at it yeah um but like, I guess, and then even in high school, I wrote like really bad poetry and I discovered Irvine Welsh and Chuck mm. Palmyak and um, Chuck Bukowski. And like, they all were really influential on, and Hunter S. Thompson too, like they were all mm. really influential on me wanting to um, become a writer. Um, and then my parents were like, that doesn't make any money. So they kind of pushed me to go to journalism school. So because gotcha. I was like, well, I guess being like a reporter will make money, which yeah. is funny because I think that's very naive. <laughs> yeah. It would have it would have 30 years ago. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I never pursued fiction really seriously until like. I want to say like 2012, Mm. I was like, that was the year I was like, I'm going to figure out how to like write fiction, right? Mm. Like I had read and I was like, I didn't know anything about like literature. Like I've never taken like an official like English literature class in college or anything like that. Like I'm very, I feel like I'm very like uneducated (laughs) in that realm. (laughs) So I like researched like Chuck Palahniuk's life and I was like, well, what did he do? You know, Um, he didn't publish his first novel until he was after 30. So I was like, okay, cool. I have time. And I started a couple ideas and totally failed at them because I like didn't know what I was doing. But that was when I discovered Tom's workshop was through learning about like Chuck Palahniuk taking it in the 90s. Right. Um, yeah. And I sent off this email and I didn't hear back for like six months. And then suddenly I got this email that was like, hey, we're opening this workshop, you know. So I was like, put my deposit down right away, bought tickets to Portland. Um, and that's when I really like met other people who wrote who were like seriously writing fiction and who knew about this world that like I knew nothing about um and it was like during that first weekend at that workshop where like I literally was like oh like you can get published like there's a pathway here which I just didn't think about like I was just not aware of how writers like got their books in the world. I mean, it's like, I knew you had to like get them published to a publisher and stuff like that, but, but I just never, it never occurred to me that like, 
you would go out like in pursuit of it somehow. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. I wish I could really remember because I was like, how do? Yeah, what did I think back then? Yeah, um, no, you're 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 really vocalizing something. It's funny because I'm I'm at a stage. You know, you you mentioned you know you know he doesn't publish until after 30 and and you know i'm now deep in my 30s and so i'm like oh fuck right <laughs> you know but uh, yeah. but but it is that thing you hit that point where uh you know you're writing but then the 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 words sort of are just sitting there and you have no idea what to do next right and that's yeah. that's what like a community is so important for isn't it you know and and um i i have so many questions actually about the workshop and about that sort of world but uh but i i've stepped over you please please continue no you're good you're good yeah so um like it was through that that's when i was like oh like and tom was also he just had or was on the precipice of having his last novel come out um, right. I loved you more. Mm-hmm. And so like, it was, it was just like a glimpse into like that world. Right. Like, cause I mm. thought, like, I thought of Tom Spanor as like this giant, like I was like, he's this really famous author and yeah. like, he's so cool. Like he does this, this is his life, you know, and stepping into that world and meeting other people who were writers um, some people who had already been published, people who are just at different stages. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It gave me this like, this I, there was just like all these different pathways and also it yeah. opened up my to my eyes that like doing that traditional thing that most people think of as like how you become a writer like you go get an mfa yeah. and then get an agent in new york city and get an agent and then like yeah. get your book deal or whatever um that's not the only pathway and yeah. um yeah it really did like open up my world that way so that's i think that's when that happened that's when i was like like this is what I want to do and I started looking at it as like this very intentional like what is what where do I want to be in like five years like what yeah. what do I want to be where do I want to be in 10 years and um hilariously I just wrote like a tiny little bit in my patreon about this how I'm coming up on my 10 year like mark like 2023 will be like yeah, 10 yeah. years of me seriously pursuing writing and I actually feel now that I'm pretty much done with like the novel that comes out next year, I actually like mm. don't know what the fuck I'm doing anymore. <laughs> right? What's next? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I have a friend. I, I have a friend who's a uh, she's a painter, and she's always talk about how um, when you start to really, really seriously pursue your, you know, whatever your art is, you know, it takes you about ten years to finally truly settle into it, and then have it become this sort of second nature thing, you know? She would argue it's like you have to do 10 hours, 10, 10 years of really shit art. But like, I, I've read your books. And so I know that it's not, uh, you know, you're already past that hump, right? But uh, <laughs> but it is, it is a funny, um, it is a funny element, isn't it? Of like, once you sort of get those first stories out of you, and then now you're like, okay, I guess I have to go back on the pile and be like, what have I, what stories have I ignored or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, with the with the sort of initial publication of of animals eat each other, uh, I want to kind of double back on that. Um, had that story been, uh, what was the sort of percolation of of that story, and where where did that sort of come from? And 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 the uh, you know I know I know especially for 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 a lot of authors that first book is very much the story that they've been sort sort of been eating at them for a while, you know. And uh, and I'm wondering what um, yeah where do, where did those seeds of that of that book come? Because it's 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 incredible and i've 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 Thank recommended you. it already to so many people and, and i'm i'm trying to start book clubs on just that book alone you know so, <laughs> so Thank you. yeah absolutely 
Um, so I almost feel like it's weird because it's like, why did that become a book? Like a big part of it was I was working on this story and I, w- I started taking this like six month online workshop um, by my friend Ray. And it was it worked a little bit like a low residency MFA where you like pages mm-hmm. do every month and you'd get feedback and give feedback. Um, and like I started the story in that workshop and had gotten like some good direction on it, but I needed like refinement. And that was like when I was working with Tom, I would meet with him every two weeks um, and we would go over the pages. And it was then that like, he was like, there's just so much that you could expand on in this and that's what you need to be doing. And so I just started doing that. And then it just like became a book. Like, Mm. I don't know. I think it like hit this 12,000 word mark. And then I was like, okay, I think this is actually like, yeah, like this isn't like a story. This is like a novel. Um, But it's so interesting that like you ask that now and I'm kind of like, what if I hadn't done that with this story? Right. Like, Mm. Like, what if I had taken a different story to Tom and then he was like, this is the story that you need to expand it. I wonder if it would have been like different. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it was like the most developed story, something that I felt Mm. that was like publishable. So that's, I think, why I was like wanting to work on it. Um, Because I don't remember what else I was really working on at the time Mm. that was as like developed, I guess. I don't know. Sure. Mm. And very potent, right? Um, what was the, what's your sort of, um, I'm always curious with writers uh, about their, their editing process, right? Because I think, you know, you know, in, in, in terms of for, for myself, you know, it's, it's never been super hard to write that first draft, you know, just sort of get something out and just sort of get it out on the page. Um, but it's then making it like, worth giving to someone else that that uh, often becomes the big hurdle you know of of like just going back and rereading it and like not just um (laughs) just giving up on everything because it's a piece of shit right um Mm -hmm. and like trusting the process and trusting the editing process to 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 you know refine it and i'm just i'm curious what your what your editing process was like with with you know with a book like like your like animals um it was very like it's interesting like I think almost maybe now like where I'm currently at writing Mm -hmm. is like the hard part and editing is the easy part gotcha yeah well part of it is because I think like because I just been through a lot of shit in the last four weeks so my brain is like tired (laughs) I mean like the last year has been like really stressful like good but stressful and so I think my brain is just like tired and so I'm like oh Mm. it's so hard to just like create the way I was creating like two years ago um but with editing it's like I don't know editing feels very natural to me um it doesn't even feel like work if I'm editing Mm. like other people's manuscripts and stuff like that it just feels like that's just how I'm I'm just consuming this information and thinking about it and um thinking about like the way something sounds aloud or the puzzle of constructing something that like has good sonic variance or that lands mm-hmm. well on a sentence or that is clear enough for the reader to like conceptually understand it. Like all that is like the f- most fun part I think of writing for me. Yeah. Like I'm always like seeking to like solve the problem of the sentence, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it feels almost like effortless, but when I am doing it on my own stuff, the hardest part I think 
is yeah being able to have like the emotional distance from it Mm -hmm. um and then like i think another part that's hard for me is like the physical exhaustion of it like because i'll want to like start from beginning to end and i want to do that in an entire day and like your brain can only go for so long yeah and And it can only hold so much yeah, it's like at that point when you start to like make the mistakes and you're not as sharp in terms of like what you're looking at and like what your intuition mm-hmm. is telling you about what you're reading, like whether or not this like is clear or is pulling forth like the atmosphere that you want, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's like, that's the hard part, but that's part of my process too. Um, sometimes in order to reframe my perspective to get distance from it, I will edit back like chapters backwards like I did that with animals and then I recently just did that with deliver me um and it was really helpful in just trying to figure out like congruency and like if the plot still made sense um and elements that like I could string through that like I hadn't realized that I didn't do this or that I couldn't do this to like help make sure the end has just as much polish and weight like as the beginning you know Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, um, so that that all sort of dovetails into one of the elements, you know, obviously this show, uh, you know, it deals with like friendship and internet and connection and all those kinds of things. And I'm just sitting here grilling you about your writing process. Um, but but <laughs> I, I, what I'm really curious about is, is, you know, you talked about uh, you, you sort of started dipping your toes into talking about the sort of effect that writing this book, Animals, um, uh, sort of had on your life and on your career and and you know where I uh, came across your writing was through Twitter and and there's this really beautiful uh, community uh, that's that feels like sort of the circle that I'm most a part of I, I, I um it's something I'm really searching for is like an in-person you know you know circle which I think is super helpful for all writers but um, but I'm very much part of that sort of Twitter sphere of you know there's this real blooming community of, of writers that um, you know, are really supportive of each other, really, really um, um, in sort of in community with each other, but then also are sharing their incredible, really challenging work. And and as you said, you know, uh, the traditional route is no longer necessary. You know, I think about somebody like Brian Ellis, who's who's just like just writes a book and puts it out, you know, whatever he feels like. And it's incredible. It's so inspiring. Right. And and um, and I'm wondering what. I guess what effect do you feel like, uh, you know, platforms like Twitter or, or Instagram, things like this had um, not only, I guess, maybe on your writing and, and I'm, I'm, I'm eventually leading to gag reflex because it's obviously very internet inspired, but, um, but, uh, but doubling before that, you know, what effect do you think the internet had on your writing and then, and then on sort of how your writing was uh, received after that? Um, well, I definitely don't think that I would be where I am now without the internet existing because yeah. so much of the indie lit community requires um, and uses those platforms to <clears throat> connect and sell books and like show people who they are and like that kind of thing, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and like without it, it's kind of like, yeah, what what would we have if we didn't? Like have yeah. the internet. How would we connect? Maybe we'd have like events like AWP where people meet up, and then maybe they'd like write letters or something like that. Right. <laughs> but like, I don't think it would have like the same effect, right? But or maybe it would, and then it would be like 
the days when like Hemingway and Scott Fitzgerald and stuff were like getting drunk in some cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, that's what I, I guess maybe that's one of the things I wonder is like, do you do you feel? And maybe this is maybe this is sort of an unanswerable question because how do you know what you know what you haven't lived mm-hmm. kind of thing? But it's like, do you feel like you do you personally feel more or less connected to your writing? You're like your writer community through, say, Twitter than than if you were, yeah, if you were just at a cafe in Paris in the 1920s, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I love all the people that I've met from the internet. Like, I mean, Elizabeth Allen, like, she's one of my best friends. And like, I wouldn't know her without Tumblr. Like, I literally just, I didn't know who she was. And I just messaged her on Tumblr. And I was like, I fucking dig what you're saying. Like, I think you're really cool. And then we became friends. And now like, eight, nine years later, we like text every single day. And we're like, you know what I mean? So and she's influenced and mentored my writings in so many ways. Like she's changed the trajectory of my life. So without Tumblr, like I wouldn't have had that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I kind of wonder too. It's like, I don't know. One thing I think is interesting is like, you know how, and I use this phrase lightly, but like, like there's lots of like nobodies who write, right? Like people are just like people who don't make it. Like they try for years and years and they don't like, quote unquote get readership or whatever mm-hmm. I always wonder about that like pre-internet like who are those people we don't know yeah. about them because like you know their work wasn't like as popular as like more famous more popular writers like even into the 90s I'm like so curious about like who these writers are and what they were writing and if there's any of these like hidden gems like oh yeah of work right that like we're missing but like one thing that is cool about the internet now is like a lot of these people who don't get that spread like who would maybe never get that spread because of the way mainstream publishing works like now they can Mm -hmm. um and now and it's it's like an archive almost, right? Like huh. even though we're called creating it and posting our work and talking, all that's still like it's an arc, you know, it's an archive itself simply because it's being yeah. built. So I don't know. I think that's pretty cool for as like terrible as the internet can be. I mean, I mean, that's an incredible perspective on it. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I think about those kind of lost writers all the time and how it's sort of um in so many ways, uh, it's sort of luck who who gets discovered and who gets, you yeah. know, sort of built up and those kinds of things. I mean, even, I mean, I don't know all the specific details, but like, if I'm not wrong, I think Kafka was like only a li- like a little bit published in his lifetime. And most of his mm. well-known work was after he was dead. And so it's like, he just wrote a lot and then gave up on it and somebody else published it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um you know and there, and how many you know how many of those types of writers will exist in the future and we just don't know about them yet because their writing is still either you know like you say it's just locked away in a trunk or it's on some undiscovered blog spot or you know, yeah. something like that right um, um do you feel like the internet is permanent though like I, I i always go back and forth with that i oscillate between like is it like are we going to be able to like unpack those archives in the future or is it just sort of sort of screaming into the void and then wiped away just as fast Mm, I think as long as capitalism will exist the internet itself will exist you know it's definitely like it needs it um but it depends right like I have a diary land from when I was like 
13 that's still out mm. there. So as long as like there's different servers that are willing to stay up even when no one uses them anymore, like those mm. things are archived or like how the Library of Congress, like I think they don't they archive like every tweet. I think they something? have to. Yeah. 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 Which is which is staggering to think about the things that are now in permanent record. <laughs> yeah. So like there's stuff like that. Um, like I've deleted so many old tumblers, mm. and I I, I kind of like now I'm kind of like sad about it because I'm like, what did I think at that time? I don't sure. remember anymore. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this brings me actually, I want to talk to you a little bit about your latest uh, published book. I know you've got another one coming down the pipeline, but but the latest one that's out is is Gag Reflex. And, mm -hmm. and it's the whole book is essentially uh, uh, written to look like a, a long, not not a single post, but it's like you're reading uh, like a Diaryland or a blog spot or something like this. And mm -hmm. um, I've been reading it r recently and uh, it's giving me in so many ways it's giving me like somatic memories of of my own bloggers and things like that and i i um because i had uh, not only did i have my own personal one i had my own diary land uh but i also had like a group one with my group of friends and we would all we would all write on it um anonymously though none of us would ever sign each post so it was all written like it was the same person but it was like seven or eight of us all writing together and it's still up and i've gone back yeah. since starting to read your book and i've been reading this old old archive and um it's bizarre it's a very bizarre behavior that we all participated in in 2005 you know? it's cool i think it's yeah. cool like who is doing stuff like that now yeah. nobody yeah. like it's that's nobody. very to me i think that's actually very like avant-garde like i want to mm -hmm. do an anonymous like writing like project with a group of people that pretends to be one person <laughs> like, yeah yeah that sounds well fucking cool <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've been so inspired by reading your book that I'm like, I need to do something with this. I need to, like, get in touch with these people and, like, see what yeah. we can do, you know. But, but you know, one thing that I can't help thinking about is that um, back then, um, everything was spread out, right? And so it was like you would go to, you know, Diaryland for one type of writing and then you'd go to, you know, Tumblr was later, but you it would be yeah. a different kind of writing and you know, um, everything has been so compartmentalized now into these singular apps, right? And so, like, in a lot of ways, there's sort of no point in having a personal blog anymore because you would just put the same stuff you might have put up, you put it now on, I don't know, I I guess Medium maybe. I don't know. I don't know what, do people even have blogs anymore? I don't know, <laughs> right? You know, I guess Patreon is maybe the closest one now, right? But, uh, but, but yeah, I guess, I guess maybe what I'm driving at is like, um, where do you put these kinds of where where do you put this kind of writing on the internet now in in your perspective um and what has changed from the time when you know your characters would have been writing this in in 2005 mm, like me personally or like overall yeah or i guess just both wherever you want to yeah. take that yeah yeah. Do you remember when Twitter used to call itself microblogging, or was that Tumblr? Tumblr called itself. Like I, I think Tumblr might have started it, but I think tw I think Twitter tried to describe itself as that. I think yeah. it was the thing because they were trying to they were trying to explain why you should give a shit about being able to write, you know, five words a day kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. I know. In my really early years of Twitter, I started my Twitter account because in journal school they were like, social media is this new thing. It started mm. a year ago and reporters need to take advantage of it so start your twitter account and start using it 
And so literally it was just like, I would just like tweet links like five times a day, <laughs> like of just yeah. stuff I was into, like, you know, yeah. like, um, I don't know, like lots of, lots of like LGBT news outlets and stuff like that. I would just like mm-hmm. tweet these links and it's just like, and I would, I hooked it to my Facebook so that the right. Facebook would like post the tweets, like the links. And I'm just yeah. like, cause I go back on the, on, like when Facebook memories pops up, sometimes I just see them yes. and I'm like, why did we do this? And we thought yeah. this was useful. And now of course, nobody uses Twitter this way. It's become a wholly yep. different kind of platform, but um, uh, yeah, so it's just, it's weird. It's like really weird. Um, but like, I do think this writing still exists out there. There's still people who blog. Um, you know, one of my favorite blogs that is, I don't know how well known it is, but that I've been reading for years is called A Satanist Reads the Bible. And that guy's mm. diligent. He's been like updating with posts for like a long time. And he started doing YouTube videos and stuff like that. But um, really interesting perspective. Um like on the Satanism and Satanism and stuff like that. Mm. But um, like, yeah, people still do, I think, have that kind of writing out there. But you're right. The way when you were describing it as like really spread out, remember like web rings and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. That's when you'd yeah. find other people. Um, exactly. It makes me think of like, like the Wild West, right? Like, and these were like little tiny like towns that like popped up or whatever that you'd like pioneer <laughs> to. And like, you know, now, like 15 years in the future, what's happened is it's literally developed into like urban development and cities. So like the one big paper is like Facebook and everybody lives there and you could go to like those old places, but they either don't exist, like they've been purchased or paved over, right? Or like they're just ghost towns, like nobody's hanging out there. So it's not fun. the railway went a different way and the and the, the the town died out right right exactly like literally like zuckerberg is literally like a tycoon or something yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. so so it's like that's that. really that's how i really envision this world and like i think there are some free spaces like that that do mm. still exist um there's still like really active forums and stuff out there but um it's just that Right. Like you don't you don't think about them or because um, everybody's not nobody's hanging out there. And it's also not, you know, hypnotizing you to come look at it all the time. You actually have to be self-motivated and not driven by dopamine to go like visit these sites. So it doesn't feel like they exist as much yeah. as they used to. Yeah. Wow. That is such a good way of encapsulating <laughs> that, too, isn't it? Because it is you don't get that same hit. And I and I can't help but feel like that's what drove people off the platforms in the first place was that, you know, because so many I, I know my personal sort of engagement with, you know, say Diaryland back in the day in like high school or whatever it would have been would have been, you know, writing but also sort of knowing your friends are reading it, you know? So it's yeah. like you are sort of being a bit confessional and you are being a little exposing, but you're also like knowing that your crush is reading it or whatever it is, right? And and uh, and and that would be the sort of hit, you know? And it would just be so much easier to do that on Facebook or Twitter or whatever came later, you know? And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I can't even feel like that's what sort of drove us off. And now it's much more almost pragmatic, I guess, right? Um, um, is that like, what was the sort of... Um, what was the sort of philosophy behind uh, framing your book in this kind of, you know, framework? Um, I'm I'm losing the right word for it, but uh, you know, the aesthetic choice, I guess, right? Um, yeah. What was the thinking behind that? So, it's kind of it's kind of a weird way, like towards it. So, I, in 2019, I read this book called 
1982 Janine by Alistair Gray. And it actually takes place in Glasgow by a Scottish writer before I even decided to move here, which is weird. Um, Kind of cool because it's one of my favorite books. But when I read it, I was like, oh, how metal would it be to like put a year in the title of a book? Like that makes it so cool. And so I was like, well, what's my 1982? So I was like, well, I guess 2005, right? Because that's like really my my like end of teenage life becoming like having to become adult type of life, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know? And so I really thought about everything that was like, so 2005, um, (laughs) you know, like new metal and, like all the things I like, all the bands I liked, and yeah. whatever. All I was the all doing. the like now playing in the corner kills me. Every every yeah. time there's like a new song in the corner, I'm just like, oh fuck that song! Oh my god, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. And so like, and that's what people used to do. Like they put they would put it like in their little live journal post. But right. remember when like Spotify was more social too? I feel like it's not quite as social anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. But like. So that's how it started was I was going to call it Gag Reflex 2005. Um, mm. And so then I fashioned the idea like around that when I was like, it would be really sick to just make it look like a live journal, like formatted that way. Mm-hmm. And then um, like I took the idea to Clash and they said, yes, of course. And then um, they they said that so they said that their publish not the publisher, the distributor thought that it would be like more marketable if I took the 2005 out and I thought about it for a long time um because I was like I don't know I really like the idea of having it in there but then I also was like I guess it does kind of like simplify it and the idea that it's set 2005 is already pretty much stipulated like in the concept of the novel like it doesn't necessarily need it so it was a moment where I was like okay I'm gonna just gonna trust like their suggestions Right. Because like, I think it's like with publishers and stuff, it's give and take. Like, I remember I was like when I when I first had the cover for animals, I was like, "Eh, it's not really like what I like, blah, blah, blah. But it's like sometimes you got to like trust like their marketing. Um, So but with Clash, though, I was like, no, this makes sense to me. So it it just became gag reflex. Um, But. I'm still happy that they let me be like as experimental as I want with it. Like, yeah. I don't really know any, I mean, I'm sure there are publishers out there, but like mainstream publishers would not like take the risk on something formatted like that. I think. Not a chance. I can't even think of a book that reads like that. I mean, I know I've seen, you know, there's sections of books that have come out where it's like, maybe they're recreating text message threads or things like that. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but I can't think of another book right now that that is literally formatted the whole way through to look like a website, right? <laughs> and it's, and it's fascinating, you know. Yeah. Um, um, it's it's an interesting, you know. It, what did it feel like for you to sort of try and recreate the language and the sort of lexicon of like, because you're not you're not just writing like it's dialogue from 2005 or descriptors from 2005. You're writing. There's a whole other kind of vernacular to be writing on. Uh, you know, an online blog, right? And and how, did you, like, did you have old archives to go back and sort of read over and sort of get into the swing of, of how people were writing then? Or or how did you, how did you sort of unpack that for yourself? I don't feel like it's that much different, honestly. No, but hey, okay. I, yeah, yeah. But I did, like, I mean, I've also been, like, writing online and writing to people since 
like I was like thir- sure. 13, I think. Like, I think I was in eighth grade the first time I did actually discover Live Journal um, mm. overall. And that was when I had started like blogging and stuff like that. So, like, I've always been like in conversation with the internet and strangers on the internet and mm. my personal life or whatever, like, <laughs> in some form for like a really long time. Um, to the point that, like, even just like, yeah, having community online feels and has always felt like natural to me Um, and even maybe even more comfortable than trying to make community in real life sometimes. Um, But like during COVID, I did end up getting stuck at like my parents' house because of lockdown and other financial reasons. And so that was really easy to, I guess, like re-explore all of like the trauma of like that time of my life because like all my old journals were there. so I definitely like read, like perused and like read through like a lot of my old stuff. Um, a lot of the same issues that like <laughs> dealing with as a teenager still- came up with my parents. So I was like really exploring like a lot of those things and like how to like heal myself as a person, like confront those mm-hmm. things. So like it really all was kind of prime for that. Sure. Yeah. And and coming out of that, so this is this is a little bit of a leap, but it's something that I've been really curious about because coming out of that, you have since in the last year you've moved to Scotland. Yeah. And and uh, and I like I have a, I have a few other things I want to ask you about about writing, and you actually mentioned friendship stuff, but and I want to come back on that, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I'd love to hear about what was sort of the inspiration that took you to Scotland, and like how 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 the hell did you do that? You know. Hmm. So um, I was born in England, so I have citizenship already. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, gotcha. So that's definitely like the big leg up and making things easier. And definitely. like I had been like playing with the idea of wanting to move back to the UK for several years, but it just seemed so big. Like I just mm. didn't know trying to understand all the paperwork um, and the process and the idea of like making a move like that just seemed so impossible. Like there's a lot of stuff that you have to do. Um, And in 2019, I was lucky enough that I got to come over here for a book tour for animals when my UK publisher um, published the book. And I was at the Edinburgh International Book Fest and stuff, which was awesome. And just like, I think when I was on the train from London to Edinburgh, I was like, this is like, it just felt like right to me. Like, yeah. it sounds weird, but um, like, like everyone wears black. And I was like, oh, this is like interesting and convenient and nice. Um, I don't know. And like, just being in the environment, I felt like, even in London, I felt like I just had less anxiety. Um, I'd been living in a small town for like three years. So the idea of going to like a really big city kind of, I was like socially like feeling a little anxious, um, sure. but like I felt like fine. There's like there is like less anxiousness. There's less communal anxiousness, like atmospheric anxiousness that exists mm-hmm. in this country. And even though like it's not perfect, I think a big part of it might be like this that there's like a little bit more social safety net. It seems. Sure. Um, or and also the sense that like people do actually feel well everyone should feel this way people in America do too but they feel more that they like that they do have a right to basic like human um, 
like things that we should have to exist like right like affordable energy um the ability to have fresh clean water like those kinds of things um living wage and they have they have for the most part still somewhat semblance of the ability to demand it um yeah like there's been so many strikes that have been going on this year and it's like it can be inconvenient, but I'm also like every time it happens, I'm like, good for them. <laughs> right. Totally. Like, yeah. yeah. Like the Glasgow um, waste management stroke, stroke struck, went on a strike. She cut <laughs> that part. The Glasgow. <laughs> what is it? I have, I have no idea which one it would be. I don't know. Yeah, strike, yeah. strike, strike. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Glasgow. Glasgow Waste Management striked like twice and it was like you could see like how evident and necessary their jobs were because there was fucking trash everywhere Um, like just all over the place and it's like yeah that's what happens like because these people are an essential service and they deserve a living wage Um, and like I don't know there's just there just is this like less atmospheric anxiety. I, it's it's weird. I don't know how to describe it. It may be me projecting simply because like like I have healthcare now for the first time since 2016. Right. So sure. maybe that's just a big part of it. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know what though? Like there is something, you know, so I live, you know, I live in Canada. I live in Vancouver now. And mm-hmm. um and there is when I go down to the states, there is like you could almost describe it as like a psychic wait you know like there is it's it's palpable when you walk into the city and you there's just there is a different pressure that like all the human brains and their magnetism is making you know because of what they're worried about and the things that they're right you know and Mm -hmm. i mean i don't know i don't know how much is that like you say i don't know how much that is genuine and how much that is totally projected from my own you know being canadian and terrified of everything right um but uh you know um but it is there is uh a, a type of weight that comes with being in america that i i haven't felt anywhere else you know yeah and, and um um i mean i've never been to scotland so i can't speak confidently about about you know the, about that but uh mm-hmm. but you know being part of the commonwealth i feel like i can get a different vibe right <laughs> and uh it does it changes things when you know you can go to the doctor and not you know lose your house right (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely like um I had like my daughter woke up in the middle of the night recently and like Mm. it was like she was having like an asthma attack or something but she doesn't have asthma and it was really scary and I was like you know trying not to cry while she's freaking out and I called like 999 and they put me through to like the emergency GP and then they sent an ambulance and then the ambulance came out and like they were like she's fine but we're just gonna take her to the hospital just in case and we rode in the ambulance to the hospital and then they they saw her right and um there that was like you know that was it like she was fine they gave her some medicine we went home at 6 30 in the morning which was insane because we did wait a long time but it wasn't like an emergency so you know um and yeah, like the trade-off isn't it right the trade-off in canada is you're just there all night you know <laughs> yeah if you're not dying like you're definitely gonna have to yeah. wait a long time and it's like it's understandable right it's understandable why like um but so that's why yeah like the whole time i was there i was like oh my god this is like brutal but like this like like we're just gonna go home after this it's not mm-hmm. gonna be five thousand dollars to like take her to this ambulance to make sure that she's okay. And if she needs a chest x-ray, like it's going to be fine. Um, Like I remember like 
one time when she was, I don't know, maybe she was a year old and she woke up and was like coughing <laughs> and like, I, we didn't know what it was, but she was fine. But like, yeah. I remember calling 911 and being like, oh, my baby's coughing. I don't know like what it was. She seems fine now. She's breathing and stuff. And they were like, do you want us to send the ambulance? And I hesitated because it didn't seem like threatening, but I was like, I don't know. And then she was like, ma'am, it doesn't, they don't charge you if they just send the ambulance, you know? And so I was like, okay. So like, so then they came and checked her out and she was fine, of course. But it was one of those moments where I was like, Mm -hmm. I reflected on both experiences and I was like, yeah, like my brain is like, yeah, like I hesitated in that moment, but like, Mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. So that it's I very think dehumanizing, right? It's a very dehumanizing culture. You know, it's one yeah. of the things that I'm I'm perpetually baffled by American culture. You know, uh, is just seeing this the the how many people can very comfortably argue against very basic human yeah. needs, right? It's like it never fails to just kind of make me a little dizzy, right? Yeah, <laughs> or even like their own needs. It's 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 kind of intense. Yeah, I know. Um. It is really nice being away from it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, are is this like a is this like a permanent thing, or you, do you think you're here to stay, or 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 what sort of uh, do you have a, a another a, a next plan in mind for for where you might go? No, I want to stay here. Yeah. Like I want Glasgow to be the last place that I live. Um, Beautiful. Yeah, I've moved around a lot, like a lot. Um, just my life because my dad was military too and then I get like this itch right where I'm like oh I don't like where I'm at I want to like go somewhere else but um, because of my dad being military I've never like understood what it's like to be like homesick or like Mm. I don't have like like I don't know like what home really means when people say that Um, Like I met one of my British cousins for the first time this year as an adult who has literally lived in the hometown that I was born in her whole life. And she's like, if I'm gone more than five days, I like can't handle it because she's like 10 minutes away from her mom and dad across the street from her sister. Um, Like we have like ancestors buried in the cemetery church that's been there since like the 1600s. Yeah, like weird, crazy stuff like that. And she was telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I don't understand what that's like. But, like, when I walk around Glasgow, no matter, like, what I'm doing or what it's like, I do feel, like, in my head, I go, like, this feels like home. And so now that I have a concept of understanding that, I do think, like, I'll be here for a really long time. I love that. Yeah. That actually sort of leads me into some of the more kind of, like, Maybe the more, I guess you could call them like the esoteric questions of the show and the sort of things that I'm sort of perpetually picking at at, at the at the sort of spine of this of this whole project is um, is these ideas of of friendship and connection and and intimacy and vulnerability and all these kinds of questions. And you're bringing up a really fascinating perspective of of um, you know constantly moving and and you must you must, um, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you. I want to ask this, but uh, I, I'm curious how you feel about the idea of uh, long-term friendship and, and how you build those kind of connections. Um, the way I, I often sort of frame the initial question is, is uh, what does it mean to you to be a friend? Um, and then from there, I kind of want to grow out a few other questions, but it will, we'll start there. Yeah, uh, it is a good question. What does it mean to be a friend? I think it means to be like, 
like a non-judging ballast of support when someone needs it. And um, I also think that chemistry plays a big role in it too. Like people talk about chemistry when it comes to like, like sex and relationships. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think like friendship chemistry is a very real thing too. And I think sometimes you just click with a person and it works. Like you can talk to each other about anything. That's like the non-judging part. Um, And it's like, it's friendship is about the willingness to trust someone. Um, I don't know. Like you just be there. For someone mm. after you like develop the rapport of like trust right mm-hmm. um and caring and that kind of thing like i think it's just important to like try to show up for those people and like check it check in on them and like the world is like cruel and it's really hard to live in and like suffering is definitely an inevitable constant um and that's mm-hmm. never going to change but i think the thing that's nice about friendship is that it is like a temporary relief from that like yeah. Yeah, like when I meet friends in person, even um, it gives me that like it does. It makes me feel so lifted. Like I feel like so temporarily high. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, that's was, such a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was walking down the street like to go pick up my kid and I actually ran into someone that I knew and I was mm. like, I was like, we spot each other. And then we're like, oh, my God. And then we, like, hugged. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, in my head, I'm like, like, you're in this city and you just run into, like, somebody that you know. Like, that's mm-hmm. weird to me. Like, yeah. that's a weird experience for me um, as someone who is, like, chronically online. But, like, like it was just <laughs> a brief five minutes where we were, like, walking and talking because I was like, I got to go. But it was so nice. It was like, I don't know. I was just like, wow, like my dopamine high or whatever it was just like that's really cool like you have yeah. friends in the city that you've just moved to um and it's like that's just such a wasn't that such a nice experience right like i don't know it was like it's cool to be able to have that so I, well and especially i mean you know you get those kinds of things through consistency right and you and through through like you know i, I guess this is what i'm uh, curious about is like what was it like for you to try and maintain friendships growing up if you're if you're constantly moving i i was i was definitely in the other boat i i was in the same house for most of you know and i didn't even move it was just that like when my parents got divorced i then got a second house that was still in the same neighborhood you know so it was (laughs) like nothing really changed from that perspective for me you know and and so i'm just curious what it was like to try and maintain friendships did you even did you try to maintain them or did you just kind of like accept that you were off to the next one and and weren't going to stay in touch. Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> from like my the big move, we did make like a big move when, like at a significant age. I think I was like 12 mm. or 13. I don't remember how old I was, but it was like before 9-11 happened. Mm. But um, like I did try, I think, to maintain a friendship with like my my – first like best friend best friend that I had um but that only worked because my mom was like best friends with her mom so they maintain contact so like Mm -hmm. they maintain contact and we would get to see each other because everyone benefits from like taking the trip to like Florida or whatever right um but like 
it wasn't until really, right, like that the internet was really a huge part of my life that I was able to actually maintain friendships over distances. And so mm-hmm. if I did make friends and they moved away, like we would still talk on AIM um, or something like, you know, something like that. It just became a lot easier to like maintain those kinds of friendships. So mm-hmm. you're right, though, about the sense of consistency, like. I think that's one thing that's hard as a person who's socially anxious is that if you don't maintain the consistency, people do kind of like lose the taste for you, right? Like they just kind of stop asking you to things. Um, Not understanding really that like it's not like a a rejection. It's just an anxiousness, right, that like happens. Yeah. Um, That's that's the thing that terrifies me about. uh, That's one of like the core questions for me that I always ask myself is like, am I a bad friend or is it is it that like you know, I just am not communicating my own anxieties properly of like, no, I would like to be better. I'd I'd love to be in better touch and I'd love to be better all this. I just like, I just can't be right. I just like, I'm so bad at it. Right. Yeah. Um, How do you communicate those kinds of needs? Do you, do you find in your own life? Mm, I feel like, um, I mean, I guess it depends. Like, Sometimes I'm not the best at communicating if I, like, need something. I mean, definitely not if I need stuff from friends, per se. <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm trying to think if there is – I've never – I'm trying to think of, like, if I had any big, like, friend fights or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think the thing is, is that, like, I'm so easygoing with stuff or, like, non-judging or content to be, like, a people pleaser that, like, I'm very much, like – go with the flow on stuff like I'll always do my best to like help people even if it's kind of like a burden on me like accidentally or something um but I do always try to communicate if I'm distant like because of social anxiousness or whatever is going on in my life I do try to communicate like sorry if this has been happening because of x this is because of xyz or whatever and um Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy for me to just communicate like you know, how I appreciate a person or something like that. Yeah. Um, listen, I, so I'm cognizant of the time and I, I only have two kind of like f- closing questions for you. Yeah. But before we get to those, I wanted to just kind of flip the mic and just say, I, I, I like to sort of include a section of the show. Uh, if, if you have anything you wanted to ask me, do you have any, you know, I sort of like a questions to the host kind of section. If, if, if you got anything on your, on your mind. Yeah. So, what would you consider like the the qualities of a friend that we should aspire to have? Whoa, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I'm always putting those kinds of questions to the guests. I've never I've never in the hot seat. Now I'm like, <laughs> oh okay, I, oh shit, I I have to have an answer too. Do I? Um, um, you know, you mentioned about. Um, non-judgmental right and i think that that's really a key element to it um and there's this idea of like the layers of of trust and vulnerability right and 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 um something recently that i've come across is this sort of exploration that like um vulnerability has often been portrayed as very um delicate and almost you know i guess you could you know if you want to use some like really like normative language it's like a a feminine trait or it's you know it's a very it's a very fragile state and and the truth is that vulnerability is actually like very volatile at times and it's very 
um, you know, if you're because if you're being vulnerable about about traumas and about deep hurts, you know, it's not going to be pretty and it's not going to be easy to to hold or to or to be present with. And um, and so I think that genuine vulnerability is understanding the actual breadth of the human experience and not just I'm so sad and quiet right now. Right. Um, and I think that that's what I really drive for as a friend and f from my friends is, is the, um, is the understanding that genuine connection, genuine vulnerability is really fucking hard. And it's like, and it's really, it's work. Right. Um, but it's, it's like, it, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's good work, right? It's, you know, and it's, it, and it's why, it's why a real friend and like a real actual lifelong friend, these don't come around very often, you know? Um, I think we can be friendly and I think we can be intimate with lots of people, you know, emotionally, not just, you know, physically, like mm -hmm. I think we can be emotionally vulnerable and intimate with a lot of people. And I think we can be friends, you know, um, I'm somebody who believes very genuinely in like, un like, um, basically just like un unqualified empathy for everyone as best as you can. Right. You know, which is another, again, still hard, but you try, you try to give everyone the love that they deserve. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, um, but those those times when it's like the real actual ride or die friends, like that's so hard and it's so rare. So you really gotta you gotta foster those and then you gotta hold on to them when you can. And then everybody else you can kind of just uh <laughs> I don't wanna say you can let them go, but it's like you don't have to hold on to them quite so tightly, right? You know, I think this is one of the things about social media that I think has really uh sort of perverted our perspective on friendship is that like we're expected to maintain and foster hundreds if not sometimes thousands of connections and that's just not i mean not only is it not healthy but it's just not possible like i just don't like it's it's schizophrenic right it's a very it's a very it's a very very destructive mentality to try and force on people and so i think i think trying to just focus on on as as few people as possible is is sort of the new like bizarrely it's the new um what's the word for it it's like the new kind of counter counter protest is like not being friends with people <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. but, no that's yeah. true yeah or like going off grid or whatever mm -hmm. so i guess my last question is because we were talking about vulnerability and like mm -hmm. thinking about like friends and like friend fights and stuff how do you stay like open and empathetic when you've been vulnerable, but someone has like hurt you, you know, or you've had like those bad fights or something like that. Yeah. You think yeah. it's possible to like maintain or repair this, the empathy to like the same degree? I think it's possible. I don't know if I've ever done it though. Mm -hmm. You know, um, um, my girlfriend uses some really, really beautiful language about that. She's a therapist, so she so she has really good language for it. And she talks about ruptures in relationships and things like that and how a lot uh, one of the ways you actually sort of build intimacy is by having a rupture in the relationship. And then mm -hmm. it's how you deal with repairing it that sort of teaches you what level of, imp of, of vulnerability you can have with that person next time. Right. Is is um, I, I think it's Brene Brown has these like metaphors of like a jar and you put marbles in it, you know, and 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 if a relationship has a lot of marbles in, then 
then you know that's that's building and that's good and then when there's a rupture you're taking marbles out and and the key is to just have enough marbles in the jar that you don't feel the ruptures as 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 um intensely as you might if there aren't very many marbles in there um and i think that's a you know that's obviously a very evocative image for for that kind of thing but it's um it's tough right because sometimes um shit happens sometimes it's you who's done something bad and then sometimes it's them and sometimes it's both and uh and i think it's yeah i i would like to say yes it's possible you know like i'd love to believe those kinds of relationships can come back but i've yet to actually do that myself so mm. i don't know how you would go about doing it right mm-hmm. um i think philosophically i'd like to believe that um anyone who you know it's the wrong word but like anybody who has like wronged me personally in the past like i could say right now philosophically i still hold empathy for them as the human beings that they are right i, I don't think that anyone has ever done anything to me that would warrant them not receiving unconditional love and empathy um but then putting that in practice and actually having to you know be in the same room with my ex-wife i don't know right you know what i mean so it's like it's right it's 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 that push and pull right um so so yeah i think that i think that's where i would land with it i would i would hope so but i don't know if it's actually possible yeah yeah that what about makes- you how, how about you I don't know. I have no idea. Right? <laughs> I'm not qualified to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, so I have, I have one last sort of thought question, and then one last, one last question to end them on. But, mm-hmm. um, but um, the sort of we've kind of talked a little bit about about the idea of the future and the idea of of how social media is sort of affecting these perceptions. And, and I'm curious, um, just very put simply, um, what is giving you hope these days um and and what within that do you think uh like what part do you think social media is playing for or against that that thing Mm. gosh i don't know honestly Mm. what gives me hope i don't know (laughs) i don't (laughs) i'm honestly not sure like I've been like, I've just been like driven by my day-to-day tasks so much for like Mm -hmm. a couple of like months-ish that like, this is a weird thing that's been happening is that like, I'm just dealing, I'm just doing a lot right now, like and on my own. And so my mental has really been like, just focus on like the every day, like what you have to get done every day to the point that like, like I used to be a really nostalgic person. I think I still am, but like I don't actually like have that right now because my mm. focus is so tunnel visioned on day to day that like I'm also not even thinking about like the future, which is weird right. because like, you know, they say like, okay, like part of like um, achieving higher consciousness in Buddhism is like not being attached to the future and the past. I was going to say, you're actually not, you're actually living very Buddhistly, right? But like, I don't actually like, I don't think fundamentally I'm doing that per se, but it is also like a weird, yeah, it's a really weird place to be. Like, I actually kind of like, I don't know if I like this and I don't know if it's affecting my creativity, 
but I'm also kind of just like accepting that this is where I have to be just for the time being. Like I can't do anything to change it currently. Um, so like, I just don't, I have such little free time that like, I really like my schedules like managed so tightly. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's really weird. So like asking that question, I'm kind of like, I don't know. Um, I mean, that's okay too. That's not a, that's not a bad question or or not a bad answer. I know. It's just a curious, it's curious because I was like, oh, I guess I really haven't thought about that. Hmm. Yeah. Totally fair. Uh Totally fair. Very last question for you. Um, um, How do you think, this is sort of like an actionable for the listeners. What's one thing you would recommend a listener tries doing this week to try and show up a little bit better for their friends? Hmm. I definitely say try removing the social media apps from your phone. Mm. Keep them on your laptop, but like take them off your phone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love mm. that. Um, do, is there? Where would you like to point any listeners to? Is there any links? Where Where would you like people to find you? Sure. Um, I'm on the net at lnash.net, and that's where you can find my books. Um, I'm on Twitter at sad erotica and that's the same for anywhere like else on socials um and then i run witchcraft magazine and we'll have a new issue dropping really soon so yeah good place to keep an eye on awesome i'll have all those links in the show notes and uh thank you so much this has been so awesome chatting with you you're you're fascinating and uh your books are incredible i can't wait for the next one to come out and uh yeah, just keep doing what you're doing because I think you're absolutely incredible. So so thank you for your writing and thank you for, for being on the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. If you like this show and want to support it, buy me a coffee through the links in the show notes or visit www.friendlesspod.com to learn more. Fun and safety, sweeties.